You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, the running public. This is the Running Public's Training Tuesday. Training Tuesday is where we talk about training only. One topic, we dive deep, we explore it completely. It's training, it's Tuesday. Training Tuesday. Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. Kirk, you're going to your mug early and often this morning. What's going on there? I got a NyQuil hangover, Bracken. A Nike. <laughs> is this? <laughs> or do we have an issue? <laughs> no, 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 we don't. This is my my third cup of coffee. This is a large mug. It's like a, I would say a twelve ounce mug. Um, no, I didn't sleep much on uh, this weekend. I guess basically, and I said I'm gonna get some really good sleep tonight. That was yesterday. So I slammed a cup of Nyquil and went to bed. Now, when you say a cup of Nyquil, <laughs> like like the cap. I okay. slammed the cap of Nyquil. Cup of Nyquil would definitely explain a hangover. But anyways, and now I have just been droning through life this morning. But I we got a podcast to record, Bracket, and I said I need my third cup to get out of this hangover. So here I am. Not a, not a not an alcohol hangover. Nyquil. You ever had one of those? I don't know if I've had Nyquil in my life. Oh, it's wonderful. It worked. I slept like a baby, but I still feel like I'm sleeping. Here's something you do kind of know and don't fully know about me is that I grew up in this home, you know, Pete and Colleen were very much um, pure organic, clean sourced everything, homeopathic everything. Hold on. I got to interrupt you right away. Your father's name is Pete? Peter. Yeah. So is mine. Peter. How do we not know this about each other? What's his middle name? Anthony. Ah, Frank. Ah, what's his last name? Continue. (laughs) That was a dad joke, Kirk. You're ready. That was was a dad joke. I'm ready. But they, along with their their hippie origins, believe in homeopathic remedies. Mm -hmm. And so I did not, my entire zero through 18, never took medicine Mm. of any sort. I've never had a Tylenol, an aspirin, uh, ibuprofen, nothing. And then that was just my status quo. That was my normalcy. So I don't think in college or ever, I, I still don't think I've had a uh, Advil to this day, or I, mm. I think I had my first ibuprofen after surgery. I had my first Tylenol after surgery because I had to take it for blood clots. Well, you said something about when you got surgery, you'd have like a little surgery uh, anesthesia hangover for a couple of days that you wouldn't feel right. So that would make sense to me. You're pure Bracken. Yeah. Yeah. If a chemical enters me, I really, really notice it. <laughs> do, you, do you know the premise of homeopathics? I do. By the way, it's, it's a bit nutty. It is a little bit. Well, I have a degree in naturopathic medicine. I think you okay. know this. So do you have a lot of heavy leather clad books for, for beating you? No, but you see this bookshelf behind me? Yes. Uh, that's full of basically supplemental herbology, homeopathic, natural remedies. Yeah, so I'm with you. Okay. But it's just interesting because homeopathics, and let's move on, did not plan on going this direction. <laughs> was is In a sense, it's almost like, um, like I describe it as like a... Uh, like a natural, not a vaccine, but like you're almost treating like with like, you're inducing your body's own response to like fix the problem mm-hmm. through like a homeopathic remedy, which is very interesting. And they're very like, if you buy Zycam in the store, when you get a cold, that's a homeopathic, for example. Okay, so they're commonly accepted. Yeah. Yeah. There's two routes of homeopathy. And one of them is semi-scientific and the other ones is like rainbows and unicorns. A- energy work. Yeah. yeah. I think we can move on from, from that bracken. Well, I'm, I'm all fired up still, Kirk. 
we I was all fired up last time we did a training Tuesday and I'm riding high off my first week of intense, purposeful, progressive training. Yeah. You dove right into like OCR compromised work, like full send. Yeah, I did. Uh, I did 30, 30 on Tuesday, did terrible two mile on Thursday and I did OCR 200s on Saturday. Why don't you tell the people exactly what those workouts are? We're not going to give you any more than that now, but give them the first week, Bracken. What are those? 30-30 is. This is Billet. This is one of the pioneers of VO2 max testing. Um, one of the go-to workouts is 30 There's two ways of doing it. There's 30 seconds hard, 30 seconds rest or light jog, and you repeat until failure. The other style is the advanced version, which is 30 seconds hard, faster than race pace, 30 seconds at threshold. Ooh. which is a much shorter workout uh -huh. taxing. And you can break that up into rounds of five or six and then rest and then do another one. So you can get more work done. But I did the first version. I did 30 seconds at rough, what I would consider three K paced effort. I did it at uh 6% or 5% on the treadmill. And then I'd hop off after 30 seconds and jog around for 30 seconds and head back on. Great. 30, 30. Then you did terrible two mile. What was that? Terrible two mile, you do a 400 meter carry and then a 400 meter run. And you repeat that eight times. It's a total of two miles of work, one mile of running, one mile of carrying. And the entire thing is compromised running. And it is all about lower leg stamina drive and then your core and hips because everything wants to sag and fatigue after your first carry. Because a quarter mile carry four times is very long. And it's a really tough workout because you feel really good for the first carry half of the first carry and so you automatically go out too hard. And then all of the rest of the workout is about trying to keep your form together and keep working hard, but it's done in 12 to 18 minutes. Mm -hmm. Hard effort. Hard. I did this one hard as a baseline. And then OCR thousands. What's that bracket? Tell me more. We call them OCR thousands. I call them OCR two hundreds. We, we, we do our naming from opposite ends of the spectrum, but it's the same workout. Mm -hmm. So you do 200 meters and then an exercise. 200 meters exercise, 200 meters exercise. You do five rounds of that. And then you rest for two to three minutes of jogging or walking. And it adds up to a thousand meters of running throughout each rep, but it's broken up into chunks of 200 meters. So I call them OCR 200s because I'm running 200 every time I do an exercise. And you call them OCR thousands because you're doing a thousand meters of running per round. Same thing. And your body's feeling good after this. Uh, I feel like not an experiment. You know how your body responds to this, but you're f fully submersed, feeling good. I am. Now, the nice thing about this style is that I'm starting with manageable chunks. I only did three rounds of OCR thousands. I did one terrible two mile. In the past, two by terrible two miles, a standard workout for me. Okay. And the 30-30 was a big workout because I underestimated what I could keep for it. And so after 20 rounds, I increased the pace and I ended up stopping at 40. So 40 rounds is way too much workouts because I started too slow but it's just a big amount of work. But other than that workout, I didn't get a lot of volume in my quality and I did all my recovery days, cross country skiing. So it was a good manageable week and it felt awesome to rip it up and work hard. Good for you. When we talked on the phone yesterday, you were pretty jazzed about how it felt, where your fitness was at. I'm going to hold off another week on compromised work. You know, I'm about two weeks behind you there, but I'm going to dive in, send you some metrics, Bracken. So I'm going to, I'm going to set you up and I'm going to give you the floor. Okay. <laughs> so so guys, today is our 100th episode. I don't know if you know that or not. Our labeling's a little goofy on like Apple Podcasts. It says our, this is our 101st, but it's actually our 100th episode. And our aim has been to teach you some things. And we're going to teach you something today. Don't worry about that. But there's also a little bit of a soapbox that Bracken Crocker entered this conversation on. 
And I got to say, I agree with him. So, Bracken, why don't you introduce today's topic of conversation? Bad coaching. <laughs> Simple enough. That might even be the title of this episode when we put it out there, just bad coaching. What prompted this, this um, need to rant, we will call it? Well, it's been building for years. The sport of OCR specifically has created a vacuum. It has what Spartan talked about a couple of million, a couple of years ago. They had 4 million unique participants around the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, a vast majority of those do not have any formal training in endurance sports. And none of them had formal training in OCR because it was a new sport. So it created a vacuum, a need for people to teach you how to train for this. And the only thing that can happen when a new sport is created is that people with expertise in adjacent sports take it and transfer it into the new sport and they create how to train for it. Uh, that's the best thing that can happen. The worst thing that can happen is that anyone can set up shop and say, I'm talking very loudly with purpose and confidence, and I'm putting very pointed messages on my quotes on social media, and I am an expert. Mm-hmm. And a mix of both in this sport. But it's been building for years, and it kind of came to a head this year for me, where it seems like everyone and their mother has set up a coaching business. Well, we're we're two two parts guilty, I suppose. I'm a I'm a free capitalist, Kirk. <laughs> I believe <laughs> that everyone should be able to pursue whatever venture they want. And I myself and you yourself have helped fill this vacuum. And so mm-hmm. we are, I don't know, guilty potentially. But the problem is because a lot of people in this sport and in running in general do not have a background in this, the vetting process is almost non-existent. Mm-hmm. And so I was fired up and I'm still fired up and I kind of want to rant and I want to call some things out. And I want to give people some, a a, a few tools to discern whether the person that they are thinking about working with is worth their time or not. But I'm going to start it by, (laughs) I guess, building up a a quick blockade (laughs) against the flack that's going to fly back at us. And that is we spent a hundred episodes now building some amount of credibility and proving our purpose, which is just to put information out there. We've spent 100 episodes earning your trust. So give me this moment to rant against people who don't deserve your trust. The floor is yours. The floor is mine. All right. And I do want to be clear that this is not an episode designed to get people to come to us because I'm at capacity. Mm -hmm. I'm fully at capacity. I cannot take you on. However, I want them to go to the right coach, not me, Mm -hmm. the right coach. And if the time comes where they want to come to me or to you, I want them to ask the right questions because even a great coach which I consider you a great coach, isn't the right fit for some people. Sure. So trust us. We've shown you in 100 episodes that we, <laughs> we've we earned the right to rant against the industry <laughs> one time. And today I'm going to rant. Hey, I can't argue with that. I will just set you up in saying that um, I think it's nobody's fault, first of all. You can't fault anybody for, one, thinking they're trying to help people. Two, trying to make a living get creative in today's Mm -hmm. climate. Um, The accessibility on social media, you know, you scream something from a mountaintop and you scream it enough, people are going to believe you, whether it's backed up or not. So for all of those reasons, I think looking around this year, it's like coaches are popping up everywhere and anybody's willing to make a training plan for 50 bucks a month. And a lot of people have been taking the bait and and I'm not going to say anybody's name because that's not worth anything. But it's astounding some people that I've had reach out who have said, oh, I've been working with this person looking to maybe switch, or I've been working with this person and I'm looking maybe to switch. And it has left me scratching my head wondering like, that person's coaching? Mm -hmm. How is that person coaching? 
why are they coaching? Do they know what they're doing within the coaching? So anyway, so yes, this is your soapbox. Yes, this is your rant, but it is something that I have definitely seen. And over the last six months, it's been more prevalent than ever. And obviously it's led us to this. Yes. And and I don't want to, I don't want to totally take over the episode because okay, you've seen this, you're in the industry, Yeah, but I do want to get some things off my chest and get it to the running public so that they can, again, be able to accurately navigate the coaching waters. Which is the most important thing. And that's what we're getting across today. Like helping you actually define or decide if you have a coach worth your time or not and how to do that. Yes. Go ahead. <laughs> so there are two types of bad coaches, in my opinion. Okay. There's the type that is a snake oil salesman. They are out to deceive and they are out just to pull the wool over your eyes and make money at all costs. Mm -hmm. I'm not even going to discuss those today. Okay. Because that's obvious. Everyone knows that that is a thing. But what I want to talk about today is the Peter principle. It's funny. We talked about our, our father's names prior to this, but are, are you familiar with the Peter principle, Kirk? No, I'm not. It's where you rise to your level of incompetence. Oh, sure. I didn't know it was called the Peter principle. You're promoted to the level in which you're not good at your job anymore, basically. Right. In yeah. which most people in their life, that, that happens. They hit that point. You're good at something. And so you are now qualified for the next position. And eventually we get to a place where we don't have the skill set or the competency to be good at that. Mm -hmm. And that's what I want to address today is the Peter principle in OCR and in endurance training, where I was a successful personal trainer or weight loss trainer or strength trainer or successful runner myself. And so now I am going to take control of other people's training in this field. And that's where we start to run into problems. Mm. So the first thing that really, really frustrates me is when people set up shop, tout themselves as an expert, and meanwhile are sending us messages asking really basic, truly foolish questions in personal DMs and emails. That is a huge red flag to me, and I so badly want to call out individual names, but that's not the purpose of this. But that has happened. That has happened on occasion on our yes. social media. Yeah. And, and not and it's not, I wouldn't say on a rare occasion either. Mm -hmm. Where we have we I could probably go through and find a dozen messages from active coaches in this industry who have asked a question that is a really good question for an athlete to ask, mm -hmm. but is a scary question for someone who charges other people for their time, advice, and guidance to be asking. The kind of stuff that this is like endurance 101 or OCR 101, mm -hmm. that if you dare ask this, you cannot be charging people two or three or $400 a month for your time. Yeah, it's fair. It's, it's scary to me. So the first is that people will just say, I'm going to, I got to start making money this month. I'm going to announce what I do, and then I'm going to learn it along the way. That's not fair to the people you're working with. And so the first tool I want people to have here to, to find out, is this person truly as good as they say they are, is the first thing you have to ask a coach is what is your training philosophy? Yep. What are the core tenets that you follow with building an OCR or an endurance plan? Well, you just said something that is so simple and overlooked and it's, you're, you're asked one interview question to a hypothetical coach here. And it isn't like, will you please coach me? I am, I just want your help. I am so desperate. It is, no, this is an interview. And you're up for the job, Bracken, or you're up for the job, Kirk. And I have questions for you because I want to make sure I'm in good hands. I understand sometimes it's just, you know what, I trust you. I'm going to go with you. But like, 
You can ask questions. So step one really is be open to asking your potential coach questions. And I'll tell you what, of all my athletes, I have been interviewed by countless. I don't know if you have mm-hmm. shooting things. They've probably been some of my best athletes that have stuck around because under- we understand each other. So asking questions, step one, really, like you're not the one begging for their time. They should kind of be, you know, not begging for yours, but proving their worth. And that's okay to put them in that position. Not only okay, it's mandatory. I would say no one should ever hire someone to coach them without grilling them first, because you would do that with anything else. You would research your TV. You would research your laptop. You would research your newer used car. You would research a specialist if you're going to send your child to one, a music mm-hmm. teacher, uh, a dance teacher. If you were going to send your kid to to jujitsu classes, you would research. You would read reviews. You would talk to them. You'd say you'd go in there and say, what's your policy on parents in the gym? What's your policy on gi versus no gi? You would ask those questions. You wouldn't just say, hey, I trust you with my child out of my sight. And if things pop up along the way, then we'll make our decisions. It is mandatory to interview the coach you are thinking about hiring, even if it is just a training plan. Mm -hmm. And with training plans, oftentimes you can't contact your coach. You can just buy it, in which case you then have to digitally interview them by finding everything they've ever written or said about the sport and decide, is this someone who aligns with my beliefs or or my goals? Yeah. Well, I just thought that was important to bring up right away before we even talk about what questions to ask is that you should be asking questions and yeah. you should be getting validated and pu- and comforted in the answers in a sense where like, you're like, Hey, I feel like I'm in good hands. Mm-hmm. Correct. Okay. Training philosophy. Back to that have to say it. You have to ask what their their philosophy on endurance training is. We've talked about simple things on here. Does compromise running work? The jury's out on that in some people's mind. I recommend coaches to people who don't believe in a compromise running or don't believe that it's necessary to work because that coach has explained why they believe that and mm-hmm. it's sound principles. So I don't care what the answer is. They need to be able to give you a real answer. So the first thing a snake oil salesman or someone who does not truly know their craft or doesn't have a craft yet will do is change the subject. They will confuse. They will make you feel bad or weird about pressing them, or they will go off on a big convoluted explanation. One of the truest ways to know if someone knows their topic is if they can simplify it to any level. Correct. You only need a few sentences. You don't need a few paragraphs. Correct. If you can't make someone understand it, you do not understand it yourself. And I firmly believe that. I don't care if it's astrophysics or if it is tiddlywinks. Ooh, tiddlywinks. (laughs) Yeah, astrophysics and tiddlywinks. If you can't break it down to its core concepts, its core principles, then you do not know it and you do not belong charging people for your lack of knowledge. I agree with that. So how would you like, let just give an example now. Could you explain your general training philosophy, Bracken? Oh, yes. And we have over and over on this podcast. Of course we have. Yeah. Like what would be an example? We believe in aerobic development. We believe in maximizing anaerobic ability. And we believe in maintaining the highest percentage of your aerobic and anaerobic capacities when you are in a fatigued, depleted state. And we do that through progressive overload. We use progressive workouts. We do semi or fully periodized schedules. And we do it based around addressing your weaknesses rather than only doing the things you like doing. Now, when somebody asks you to be their coach and they have questions, I'll refer them back to this point in the podcast because you nailed it, Bracken. However, that's a cover-all answer. It is. That answer gets your foot in the door. Now you can say, okay, 
you can come in and sit in my living room and we can chat now because anyone can repeat what I just said and not mm -hmm. know a damn thing about it. So now what you have to do is ask specifics. You have to give your coach a theoretical. You have to say, okay, I like the sound of that. Now, I work nights three days a week and I'm preparing for um, trying to punch my golden ticket to Western States and I'm going to do it at the Sonoma 50. And this is my goal course and here's where I'm at right now. What would you say is the general structure we're gonna use to get to that? Mm. It can be as, as simple as that. It can be fabricated or it can be real. And now they have to take that nice blanket statement I said and they have to be able to apply it on the spot to your goal race. And if they cannot act in the moment, if they cannot free think, they do not truly know it. That is my favorite question to get. Know who gives me that question, actually? Your Western States example is a good one. Ultra runners. Yes. I got an ultra in six months. Walk me through it. What we're going to get there. And I give them the bullet points along the way, what we're building to and recovering from and how we're going to get that fitness. The ultra runners are great at asking that questions. And ultra runners also are probably the most thorough with their questioning, in my opinion. But continue. That's a great example. Thank you. And, and that is where you start to, to decide, is this coach worth their salt or not? Mm -hmm. Because anyone can regurgitate an answer, but only someone that truly knows what they're doing can take an example or an in the moment and just in the flow, start freewheeling and give you a real actionable advice. Yep. You have to know your concepts to be able to repeat them, but you have to know them intimately in order to be able to adapt them to different scenarios. And so mm -hmm. that is the first two things you ever do if you contact a coach. You ask what their general principles are, and then you ask how they would implement those on a specific set of circumstances. Mm -hmm. I like it. Continue, continue. Right there, you are going to eliminate over half of the coaches in the sport of OCR and a decent percentage of the general endurance coaches as well. And that's okay. They don't deserve your money. If you ask me that question and I can't answer it, I do not deserve your money. Mm -hmm. And I have had some people that I could not answer that question for. I consider myself a good coach, but there were times where someone gave me a very specific set of circumstances that I had never dealt with. The first couple of people that asked me to train them for a 24 hour race, I could not do it mm. because I didn't have the knowledge base or the experience to do it. You can coach something you have no experience in if you have a vast knowledge base and you've done a ton of research. And you can coach someone that you've through something that you've experienced, even if you don't have all the science to back you up, if you have lived it and you can prove it through action and core principles. But you cannot do it if you don't have at least a good acceptable amount of one or the other. And I did not have that. Mm. And there have been some races that people were training for that were much more ninja warrior style. And I had to say, you know what? I can't do that. I can't write you a program for a 150 meter obstacle course race because A, I don't know how to do it. And B, it actually doesn't excite me. Mm -hmm. And if I'm not emotionally invested in your training, you're not going to get anything worthwhile other than what the words that I write on the paper. Yeah. So yeah, I have run into this several times and a good coach will have the honesty to tell you, I'm not going to BS you, <laughs> but here are some names of people that I know would be good at them. Go check them out. Mm -hmm. I think, I think something to add, I don't know. Did you have a follow-up point you wanted to make to that right away? No, I don't. Before I just like sort of pivot is that, um, is that, you know, a, a coach that is worth your time and worth your money. This is a sport like we are 
investing a lot of time in, we're investing a lot of emotional energy in, and we're investing a lot of sacrifices in to make it work, right? So I think this is something you should take seriously, just to validate what you're saying. Like this deserves your true attention and it deserves somebody to prove their worth to you in a sense. Because if you're hiring a coach, one, I know you give a shit, right? Like you truly care about how well this goes for you. So don't blindly put your trust in somebody's hands without feeling comfortable first. So all of this is valid based on that alone, right? The amount of time, money, energy, sacrifice we put into all this warrants you being particular. So that I just wanted to just get out there. The second thing is that if you're looking at a coach and they don't make it a point to truly get to know you, by simple step one, send you a questionnaire to fill out so they can understand your circumstance and get a basic feel of where you're at. And then also follow that up with a real conversation saying, here's what I noticed. I have questions about this. It's your opportunity to ask the questions like, hey, what does the six month build to my ultra potentially look like? Um, if somebody's not taking that time with you, uh, you're probably one, not going to get the best plan for you Two, They're not going to fully understand your situation, which thus is not going to help them give you the best results or the most attention that or the best attention that you need. So the simple things about beginning asking your questions to the coach, but also like making sure the coach has asked you the right questions, making sure that you've then followed up together on all of those questions, all of these steps in the process, a good coach is going to take. And a bad one's going to skirt over and move you to the next phase as fast as possible. Mm -hmm. And I just think that's important to get out there. I like that you brought that up because that is supremely important to realize that the training plan you receive back is only as effective as the information you give them prior. Correct. You can write a training template, but you cannot write a training plan without input from the person that you are training. So if you do not fill out something with very good detail on it, prior to them building your plan, you've been taken for a ride or you're getting something generic. If you want generic, that's okay. Mm. But don't pay excessive amounts for Correct. generic. Yeah. I mean, it, it, some some people may be like, oh, you want to do the Spartan US National Series? All I need to know, we'll write you a plan, get you ready. We'll see you there. You're going to crush it. I'd be like, red flag, red flag, red flag. Like, wow, that sounds great in theory. You're going to outline and periodize my whole season based on the Spartan U.S. National Series, but you know literally nothing about me, my circumstances, my tendencies as an athlete, my strengths and weaknesses, what really needs to go into it. And so there's just so many layers that right. sometimes can get missed. So yes, that's the point. I just want to make that point for sure. Yeah. So, so there's training plans and there's coaching. Mm -hmm. Training plans can be generic. Yeah, of course. Because maybe you're going to modify it yourself. Maybe mm -hmm. you only need quality workouts outlined for you, but coaching must be specific. And I'm of the mind that a coach, if they're going to work with you personally, if they can't give you at least an initial face-to-face -face meeting or on the phone, if that's your deal, and actually mm -hmm. hear your voice and connect a little bit personally with you, then you shouldn't be paying them triple digit money. You just shouldn't. Mm -hmm. So- that's kind of like the entryway to it. There's more we can get into and maybe we will later, but do you have anything more on the entry to choosing a coach? No, no. I just, I, I just think getting a point across that like, like they, a coach needs to not prove their worth, but display their knowledge to mm -hmm. you. And it's okay to ask the questions to force them. To yes. No. And obviously it's great if you can talk to people who have worked with them. Yeah. That's always helpful. It's good to know, like any other reviews, you throw out the one stars, you throw out the five stars, and you read the three stars. Yeah. 
because there's always someone disgruntled. There's always someone who's in love and there are people who are just dispassionate like, Hey, this is what really worked. This is what didn't work. I don't work with them anymore, but I could recommend it or I do work with them, but this is what could be improved. So throw out the ones and the fives, stick to the threes and fours. I like that. Then once you get your coach, I'm assuming you're paying a decent amount of money for it. If you're paying triple digits or more, it's you're in the personal coaching realm. I have a question actually, just on the pricing standpoint, um, which I don't know, can maybe taboo to talk about, but do you know, do you know any true coaches coaching? We're not talking training plans. We're coming out with a training plan. It is going to be very affordable. And this is now we're talking about, we're talking about a true coach, a coach that's in your back pocket every day that you can get in touch with every day. That is like your right-hand man. Do you know any coaches that charge less than triple digits that are any good? No. Not unless you have a pre-existing relationship with them. Like my friends and family discount is is under that. But mm. that's it. If you're a stranger and they don't know you, no, you're not going to get your money's worth if you're not paying triple digits. And that's entry level. Yeah. I just was curious if you did because I nobody came to mind for me either. Yeah. And that's not to say that cheaper isn't good because there are some coaches that severely undercharge intentionally. Yeah, I agree. And there are coaches that overcharge and you don't get what you're paying for. But you have to be willing to spend. But since you're willing to spend, that's why it's so important to vet them first. Yep, I agree. Okay, just curious. Okay, now you've chosen your coach. And the first step is they're going to interview you and they're going to get your information and they're going to build a plan out for you. If your coach is not willing to go over that plan with you and make modifications to it, once they've built it, you shouldn't be paying a lot of money for it. Hmm. Like anything else, you can research it as much as you want, but until you actually see the actionable product, you don't know the things that aren't going to work. When you get that plan, you realize like, oh yeah, with my work schedule, these days aren't going to work, or I don't have access to this. And we didn't talk about this yet, but this isn't going to work. A coach must be willing to change it at least one more time before it's worth your money. Mm -hmm. So that second step there is make sure that they are willing to do that. It cannot be a, I built this for you you are now paying for. In fact, I would, I, I shouldn't mandate this, but with my athletes, I do not accept payments until they've seen the final product and we've gone over it together. Mm. They have to know what they're getting first. I do not let someone pay me until they've seen what they're buying. It's like a drug deal. Like you got the money. Yeah. You got the product. Yeah, no one's going to part with your money until you get the product. <laughs> That's how this works. I, I, I charge them before I make the plan. <laughs> and that's okay. But I also know that you as a person and a coach are willing to go out of your way to immediately change something if something's just a, it's not going to work. Well, well, a plan should be malleable and things like this, like races pop up. Hey, I know I wasn't on the plan, but I got a race in three weeks. I will immediately go back on my computer, revamp your lead in, get you ready and roll. Or, oh, I got a new job or I realize I don't have time on Mondays to double with the strength and a run. Like it's just killing me. Can we move things around? You go right to your computer, fix that plan, send it back. Oh, gym shut down. I don't have access to barbells anymore in a squat rack. Shit, which I've been dealing with a ton. All right, what do you have at home? Let me get you the next best thing as quick as possible. Like those things, that's exactly what you're paying for, is somebody to adapt to your current situation. And especially this year with not knowing if races are or aren't happening, there's going to be a lot of modifications. So coach should be very malleable, very flexible. Yes. so. I second that tenfold. Now you should have one fear in the back of your mind the entire time. I'm not saying to always be a pessimist, but you should know that the single biggest scam in one-on-one coaching is to give you templates and call it personalized. Okay. Explain. 
So let's say I write a workout plan. It's just generic or I used it for someone else. And I just turn and I flip it around and give it to you and say, hey, this is personalized for your race. You're training towards Killington. This is your Killington plan. That's actually okay to do because you've proven it before and it works if it is modified then to your existing situation. Sure. But simply lowering or raising the easy and recover your own duration is not modifying the plan. So the first, the first inkling that you should get that someone's not actually truly giving you personalization is if they can't respond to your initial request to, to change things. It's almost sure. worth doing. It's going to be a pain to the coach, but it's almost worth right away saying, Hey, this popped up this weekend. What would you replace this with? Mm. And if it doesn't make sense, most likely you have been given a template and they don't really know how to adapt it. They have one thing they know mm. and they're sticking with that, or they don't want to put in the work for your money. And again, if you're paying for someone's time, you deserve their time when it's needed. So if a coach cannot adapt your plan or is kind of unwilling to, or makes you feel guilty about it, they most likely are not truly giving you personalized coaching. Hmm? Good point. How would you know? Is that, is that the only way you would just like, let's say you're, you're concerned that you've gotten a template. Would that be the only, like, how would you really know other than asking to modify something? Is that, is, would there be any other way? If you consistently have workouts that you can't do in your location. Yeah, that's a, that's a dead giveaway. <laughs> that, that's part of the intake, right? In the questionnaire, your coach is going to ask, do you have a mountain? Do you have a hill? Do, do you, you have a treadmill? A treadmill? Yeah. <laughs> if you keep getting treadmill workouts and you don't have a treadmill, there's a reason those keep popping up in there. It's because they were already in the plan. Right. So you just, even when you get a new block and there's still treadmill work in there, it's because your coach isn't personalizing. So things like that. If you're pacing, if you get workouts and there's paces in there that aren't your paces, your coach copied and pasted your workout over from someone else, which again is not a bad thing. There's only so many workouts in the world and there's so many, so many race types and workouts work because they target certain systems and systems overlap from race to race. So workout repetition is not a bad thing, but copying and pasting without purpose is the bad thing. So if you see other people's pacing, if you see uh, workouts that do not fit your location or your equipment type a little bit too often, um, if you get to the, a block and you get the next block of training and it doesn't seem to pivot with your race schedule and you ask the coach about it and he can't explain why it doesn't, that's bad. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to give a quick two, two, a two-part story. The first addresses this. I had a call with a guy last week. We talked about his next block of training. He also talked about he wanted to test. And this is a guy named Joe. And I really appreciate Joe because he called me on this. <laughs> this weekend, I got a text yesterday that said, hey, I saw my new block. This isn't what we talked about. Okay. Like, it doesn't have this. It doesn't have this. It does have this. And I said, I don't want that. What's going on here? And I messaged him and I said, all right, here's my rationale for this. I know we talked about this, but we also talked about testing. You wanted to test four or six different tests. He wanted to test 10K, half marathon, treadmill challenge, max gain, uh, maybe, maybe there's just four, those four. I realized that's too much work for two weeks. So instead of a transition week or two, I bumped it into three weeks. But yeah. then I put an extra recovery day in between each test because I just didn't think that it was enough recovery. And that bumped off the Monday schedule, which was Monday was always going to be on the bike. Mm. But now Mondays weren't always on a bike because I added extra days in. And then so, so there were multiple changes in there that we hadn't discussed. 
So he called me on it. I gave my best explanation for mm -hmm. why I did it and then said, but as always, I'm open to modifications on this. Let me know what is a no-go and what you're okay with and I'll update it. And this morning, texted back, all right, appreciate it. Thanks for that. I made some sample modifications on it. Let me know what you think. So he's actively taking a role yep. in this. So I'm not saying I did a great job. I'm not saying I did a bad job. I did a different job than what he expected and he called me on it. Luckily, I was able to give a, a thought process that made sense because if I couldn't do that, he would know, all right, this guy just copied and pasted something from someone else. Mm -hmm. The point is he delved into it, realized what was wrong and asked a very direct question. And then he got a very direct question back or mm -hmm. answer back. As an athlete should. Yes. And that's what needs to happen. And I'll be honest, I was a little taken aback at first. Like, oh, shoot. Like, I almost feel bad because he was hey, this isn't what we talked about. And he was right. Now, I did it with the best of intents and I still felt a little guilty. I approve I approve of that extra recovery between time trials, Bracken. You got to be ready to fire on all cylinders for these right. things. But in his defense, I didn't send a message that said, hey, Joe, I changed what we talked about. Let's talk about it ASAP. I waited for his his him to view it and then respond. So that was... That was definitely a, an, a miss on my part. But so I felt guilt on that and I did it intentionally. Imagine what your coach would feel like if you caught them handing you someone else's training. Mm -hmm. You're going to be able to feel that in their response or lack of response. So anyways, you have to be able to ask those questions. Second thing, second little story here is there was a, an, a racer in the sport a few years back who was kind of a big deal. And I heard that they were training people and they offered personal training to people that they met through um, an experience. I'm not going to get too detailed on this because it's going to call the person out, but it was one of those bonding type experiences that you would think when I heard that that person was coaching those people, I thought, oh, that's kind of cool that they're going to do that for them. Turned out they were charging them $400 a month each oh for the plans. And a couple weeks in, those people started comparing plans and they were all the same. Mm -hmm. And they asked for modifications and never really got them. And then they asked for modifications again. And so the mod modifications were all made for the next month, but they all got all the modifications. The coach in quotes didn't realize that those people didn't make the connection that they might know each other in real life and kept answering them like, no, 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 this is personalized. This is for you. And then made the, the, the plan for the next month and then copied it to all four people. So all four people got each of each other's modifications. And eventually mm -hmm. they called the person out and the person got angry and said, well, I don't want to work with you anyways. So anyways, those signs start to pop up. If you're not liking the answers you're getting, you know what's up. I got a question just based off that story. As you said, a, a higher end athlete, we'll call mm -hmm. it. Does a coach's performance as an athlete, uh, an indicator of their ability to be a good coach? I think that's an age old debate. You look at a lot of guys in pro sports and they were good to average, let's say football players. They were very cerebral, but they didn't have the physical talents. So they worked hard in the back end to make up for it. Never quite made it maybe as big as they wanted, but they understood the game, for example. They had to fight and claw for every inch and they didn't make it to the top, but they sure learned a hell of a lot along the way. And now they're a great coach, for example. Um, do you believe that it matters if they were a good athlete or not? Not at all. And I've said that before. Do you believe that they need to be at least an experienced athlete in the realm in which they're coaching? As a blanket statement, no, I don't actually believe that. I believe it is a huge benefit in certain sports over others. Okay. So let, let's look at football, for example. Some of the best coaches in NFL history were players themselves. And there are also coaches that never really played. 
Correct. Specifically not past high school because talent is something you can't fake. You have people that were phenomenal players and just couldn't coach or run a front office. And you have people that were phenomenal players and are phenomenal coaches. So I don't actually think there's a correlation. There needs to be some experience at some level, but the type of sport I think dictates how much experience you need. Unfortunately, I think the sport of OCR, it is very, very helpful compared to other sports to have had done some races just so you can actually feel what compromised running feels like. So you can feel what a bucket carry feels like. So you can feel what getting to the top of a thousand foot climb feels like. Mm -hmm. uh, ultra running, trail running, all that stuff. So you can feel what it feels like to try to descend on blown out legs. Knowing those feelings allow you to determine the confines of your training, both the workload, the intensity, and the frequency. Knowing what it feels like, you can then target those feelings in training. However, you have people like Rich Diaz, who's never <laughs> run a step, I don't think, in the last 20 years. And he seems to be a pretty darn effective OCR coach. Mm -hmm. So no, I don't think that it says yes or no. And I personally think that making your decision based off someone's effectiveness in the sport is the wrong way to go about it. No, I think I think that if somebody is an accomplished athlete, I think it is a, a noteworthy attribute. I think it is a notch in their belt, but I don't think that that's how you necessarily base your coach on it all. I do think something you said, I'm glad you said it, is in our sport, I do think that some sort of experience is important. I know there's people out there who have run specific coaches that are top end OCR athletes, and that's because they are working on their run specific capabilities for a reason, and they're combining on the outside their OCR work. But um, I just think experience, I think experience is important. In my opinion, I think understanding uh, cause and effect, uh, like you mentioned, how a race feels, what requires, um, what, what requirements are needed to perform well and the training that is involved with it. I think your coach living it is, is an important, is an important part of the piece. And, and Rich Diaz, for example, you're right. I don't think he's done a whole lot in his recent decade, at least anyways, he was a high level runner at one point. Mm -hmm. I mean, not saying he carried it into his later adulthood, but, um, I do think experience is important, but I don't think results are necessarily the most uh, the most important. It falls way low on the list, in my opinion. Yeah, and and there are some pieces to that that I do want to actually explore because one of the parts of experience that's important is experiencing the athletic progression, not just experiencing a race. Because I do think that every trainer and coach, and I tell people this, I had a, I had a, actually a coaching consult a couple months ago with a guy who was looking to get into OCR coaching. He was coaching people at his gym. He said, I, I just want to pick your brain on how you set things up. I said, well, I'll, I'll do all that, but you also need to, to go out and run a race, mm -hmm. preferably a race of every distance so that you can feel it. But then that's not enough. I don't care if he's a racer in the sport. He has to feel it once, but then he's got to follow some of the training progressions himself to notice the progression. We talked about uh, OCR thousands, for example, Kirk. Mm -hmm. Talked about how you love that workout but uh, it destroyed you so badly. It's just like ripped your legs up. And I did that this weekend and Ross did it with me. And I had no soreness afterwards. And Ross's hamstrings and glutes and hips are smoked. Very much how your first one was. Yeah. And so it's important for a coach to be able to have felt both of those. Because if you never did that workout again, your assumption of that workout would be that that workout smokes you. And that must be treated as a certain style of workout only used in a certain place because it destroys your hamstrings. Whereas I could do that workout three days before a race now 
and I'd be fine. It might even be a good sharpening workout because it doesn't smoke me. It allows me to do something else because my fitness has changed. My resistance to that has changed. And so different parts of our sport have a really steep learning curve or a very shallow learning curve. And feeling that over time, I think is important to the coaching process. Yeah. Same thing with a regular endurance coach, understanding mileage, understanding when it stops affecting you from a, a, a fatigue standpoint. You don't know what a hundred mile week feels like unless you've run one, but you don't know what it feels like to a guy who's used to running 120 unless you've run 120 and now you're running 100. So it is important for perspective to continually try some pieces of the sport you're coaching, in my opinion. I was just going to elaborate on that exact argument. So I'm glad, I'm glad that you did. Well, for example, like let's say when I had first done OCR thousands, what is this five years ago now? And it totally blew up my legs. Well, let's say it's coming from your point of view and you, you've never, you've always done OCR style work. So these workouts never affect you. And then you have an athlete like Ross who says, I literally don't know if I can run today. It's Monday and I'm so sore that I don't know if it's a good idea. And a coach who hasn't experienced that is going to say, potentially like suck it up are you kidding me like i think this kid's being a baby like ross you're being a baby when reality ross is messed up man you crushed him in that workout and the only way you would know and understand is if you've been through that process yourself you say ross you're right like maybe we cooked it a little hot let's hop on the bike today i totally get it instead of forcing an athlete down a path that you don't fully understand and so those nuances are are infused in my coaching i'm sure yours as well because i've gone through now how does a coach make up for that Let's say that they are not a runner, they are not an OCR athlete, and they have no desire to do it. Either physically they can't because of injury or weight or work schedule or whatever it is. Is it possible to be a great coach without ever having any amount of practice in what you're coaching? Yes. Um, you have to listen. Thank you. Hard pause. They have to listen. Coach has to listen. I want that to sink into everyone. Coaches love talking. That's why we have a podcast. <laughs> you have to listen, and then you have to trust your athlete. Yes. You you have to believe that your athlete isn't trying to skirt around work, that they actually know their body, or they're, they are truly trying to do the best for themselves. If you don't have trust in your athlete, obviously the athlete doesn't have trust in the coach. So what the hell are you doing? There are two types of coaches in terms of workouts. There are coaches who design a workout, and that workout goes into the vault, and it gets launched out to, to athletes indefinitely. And then there are coaches who they take that workout and they put it in their pending column or however, however they want to store it. And they keep taking notes on how athletes respond to that workout. Are my rest schemes correct? Are the number of rounds correct? Do I need to change the number of rounds or the length of the rest just determined by what level of fitness they're in or what stage of their training program they're in? And they keep getting feedback from athletes. And they especially take it from the athletes that they know well and trust that they're accurate in recording their workouts. And mm -hmm. that right there is something that determines whether you need experience in the sport or not. If you've never run the workout, but you've had several dozen athletes all give you honest feedback about it, you're probably going to arrive to the same conclusion as what an athlete would arrive to if they did the workout a dozen times. You're going to notice those same things, but Kirk, you're right. You have to be able to listen and trust. Yes. Listen and trust. Long story short. And, and on that, well, and to piggyback that, just this is a little bit of a tangent, and then I'll let you get to your long story short, is that, you know, I'm near capacity with my athletes as, as well at this point. You're near capacity um, or at, I don't know. But, um, you know, we have the athletes who, like, for example, I send out weekly check-in emails and say, hey, how, how do things go this week? Send me your data. 
I mean, you're, and I know you have phone calls and things. We have different styles, but, um, and, and sometimes I get like, things were good. Thanks from somebody. And then from another athlete, I'll get all their metrics, their heart rate averages, their interval splits, the summary of each workout. And as an athlete, you know, if you are going to get the most out of your coach, that means you need to invest the most in putting back in as well, which means like things were good. Thanks. You're going to fall short of how much customization and, and progress you can make on that program. And yes, I have a few of those athletes. I get one sentence back and it's, uh, it's quick and it's seamless. And I don't hear from them until the next week. And it's very simple. And then I have ones that really dig and really report and really require. And every check-in has a question or two in it. And we develop a good line of communication. And so talking about listening and then like, I don't know, just divulging more. The more you give, the more you're going to get. And if the more you give and you still don't get any more from your coach, I guess is what I'm getting at. Like it's kind of important. So just wanted to outline that as well. Well, that was something I wanted to talk about eventually anyways. Okay. The, the final thing maybe is establish what your communication protocol is with your coach. I'll use myself for an example. I am a poor communicator in certain ways. And one of them is that I'm not a proactive communicator in my daily life. Okay. I just don't seek out contact. I don't need personal interaction. And so that's my default. So I try to make it very clear with athletes from the start. That is, you cannot annoy me. But you will be ignored. It'll feel like I'm ignoring you if you don't reach out. Mm -hmm. And I always tell people when we have these conversations, like, I don't want to annoy you. I don't want to. I know you have your family, your own training, other athletes. I do not want to be a hassle. My answer is always, I have never turned down a request for a face-to-face -face phone call in my life. Mm -hmm. I have never told someone I will not reply to your texts. It may not be immediate, but I will never, ever refuse to schedule a call. I have athletes I have calls with every single week, face-to-face, -face. Mm -hmm. 20, 40. Some people take 60 minutes every single week, face-to-face -face calls. And I, I love that. That's what I thrive off of. I love the interaction. I just don't seek it out. I'm the same way with my friends. I do not ever seek out like, hey, man, what's up this weekend? Let's go hang out. But if anyone's ever like, hey, we're hanging out this weekend, you got to be there. I never regret being there. I love yeah. the interaction. I just don't seek it. And that's the way I am with the coaching. And I try to make it clear to my athletes that you must message me and I will message you back. You must set up a phone call so that we can talk and you will get all my attention and I will be so invested in your training. But this is on you. This is you are paying. You are the one racing. You must be the person that takes the driver's seat in communication here. Now, not every coach is going to do that. Not everyone would even agree that I'm doing the correct thing. This is just the way I work personally. So it's identifying that. What does the coach expect from you communication-wise? And what are they promising to give back communication-wise? Yeah, all that matters. doesn't matter what it is. It just, it just matters that the expectations are set and Correct. you understand how things work moving forward. That's it. Yeah. But it must be there. If a coach is receiving hundreds of dollars from you each month, you will be receiving communication back. <laughs> I'd hope so. And if you're not, you are wasting your money. And that's the next step of figuring out how custom are my plans? Because the more I talk to an athlete, the more I'm compelled to talk to them. I just had this conversation with someone. The more I found that the more I have face-to-face -face meetings with people, the more I text them throughout the week hmm. because they're on your mind and you're invested in their training and you've seen their workouts and now you've talked about their workouts and now you check in on the workouts. Mm -hmm. So in fact, the more someone reaches out to me, the more I actually reach out 
and check in on them, even though I say, I don't generally reach out and check in on you. I find myself reaching out more because I'm just more engaged with them. Yep. You have to have that with your coach and they have to have that in order to truly personalize. But if they won't do that, or if they get that and you still don't get the personalized results, or I shouldn't say results, adjustments you're looking for, then then you know that's the final nail in the coffin. If we check in each week and we talk about my training and you see what's going on and my next block still doesn't even reflect anything that we've talked about, like the case is closed. You're not getting personalized training. Mm -hmm. I agree. Set the precedence with mm -hmm. your modes of communication. I think that's I think that's fair. Whether it's, you know, when we first started, what was it? Gosh, it was like a Slack message board, for example, yep. which I'm at the Slack days. I don't necessarily miss the Slack days. So what else? What else about all of this? What else about all this that people need to, to know? I think this the timing of this is good because I, I think coaching and going into the, I mean, I think it's more popular to hire a coach than ever. I think people are entertaining the thought more than ever. There's clearly more available than ever. And I know a lot of people in pre-contemplation have sent out feeler messages or have been like, hey, you know, people peek into our running public inbox and be like, just curious, what's it cost or what's this or what's that? I feel like we're getting more of that than ever. Um, so I just think it is pressing. I think we just lay it all out there right now. Is there anything, is there anything else? I want to recap. Okay. We talked long story short. This is long story short. You must reach out. You must ask pointed questions and make your coach prove themselves to you before you start. You must establish lines of communication. You must demand personalization on par with what you're paying. You must ensure that they are personalizing. And then the final piece that we haven't talked about is that you have to treat them like any other relationship or product in your life. Just because you're there doesn't mean you stay there forever. Mm -hmm. If things start to slip, if the personalization level starts to drop, if the level of attention to detail starts to drop, you treat it like anything else. Hey, you would reach out to Amazon if they started getting orders wrong. You'd say, I, my last three have been wrong. And they would say, I'm so sorry, we're going to refund you that. And moving forward, let's reset and let's do this correctly. But if it happens again, or if you're just not, you're, you're stagnating or whatever, you need to be willing to cut bait and move on. Sometimes the greatest thing a coach can do is create an athlete that no longer needs them. Yeah, That's a sign of success. I love that I have athletes I've worked with for years, but I also love the fact that there are some people that didn't need me anymore. And some of them are now coaches. Mm -hmm. That's fantastic. So again, a good coach will let you go and will encourage you to use them less. So mm -hmm. finding that moment when it might be time to look elsewhere. I don't advocate coach jumping. It's not effective, but I do advocate making sure that if it's not working anymore, you either fix it or you find what does work. Mm -hmm. What, um, just for people, I, I, what you know in our industry, mm -hmm. What can people like expect to pay for a coach? We're not talking about us specifically, just talking mm -hmm. like like a good coach, the ones that you respect. We all have an idea what's out there. At least you and I have an idea. Yeah. What do you think is reasonable in the realm of, in the scope of coaching, somebody that's worth your time to pay per month? In our sport, for what we provide, I think 150 to 250 is reasonable. I was going to say anywhere from one to 300 bucks, depending yeah. on where you're getting. I think when you start getting into that 300 and above range, you better be getting a lot in return. And I, from what I've seen, most people don't provide that much. If you're getting nutrition, if you're getting life coaching, now, yeah, you can start paying hundreds of dollars. Um, if they are less than $200, you're getting a good deal. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean it's a bad product because like we, you and I intentionally undercharge because we don't want to limit mm -hmm. ourselves to the running elite. We want the running public to have access to good information. So yep. 
do not equate price to quality, but do expect that if you're paying over 250, you better be getting a lot in return. And that if you're paying under $100, be aware that you're not just getting the $50 version, but more expensive. <laughs> right. It's a good point to make. Yeah. So I have one final piece here. Sure. I want to give a, a little uh, soapbox rant to the people who are either doing this incorrectly, the coaches themselves, or people who are looking to get into that. And here's what I've, I'll say. I have now had seven athletes since I started coaching who have branched out and started coaching on their own. Three of them have done it the right way. And that is they've been up front. They've said, hey, I think this is something I'd really like to do. I'd still like to keep working with you, but I am going to start my own eventually. Is that okay? Hmm. Immediately, my answer is yes, because you're asking a potentially embarrassing or awkward question, which I respect when people can do that. And yep. then they started asking questions about the training. And throughout the whole time, they were. They were the people that said, now, why do we do this workout? What's the purpose of this? Why are we doing this now compared to then? And they learned the process. That's what happens everywhere else. You get groomed for your next job by the person who has your job, and then you supplant them, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And they did that correctly. And then they've gone off and they've done their own thing. And they have used the principles that they learned from me and learned from their online sources and learned from clinics and learned from other coaches. And they created their own product. Do they use some of the workouts that I use? Yeah, of course. I use workouts that I got from other people. I named Hobie Temple because Hobie created it. <laughs> right. I'm not going to say no one could ever use a workout I created because no one could ever do 400 meter repeats then. Because whoever the first person to create interval right. work, they've got it locked down. So that's not the purpose. That's okay. They did it right. The other four people did it the not correct way. And if you're listening, this is one of those sorry, but not sorry. You did it the wrong way. They never said anything ahead of time. They were poor people to coach. They never asked questions. They never asked why. They didn't implement the workouts the right way. Mm -hmm. I'd give a workout, they'd do it incorrectly by going off on their own or, or just not understanding it or not understanding the purpose of it. If they got talked to by me about that, not a talking to, but it was discussed. They never really dug into the why. They just said, oh yeah, yeah, sorry, that makes sense. That won't happen again. There was never really a back and forth conversation. They just, they thought the magic of coaching was the words that you wrote down on the paper. And then after it's usually between five to 12 months, at some point they say, you know what? I think I'm ready to, to back away. I'll probably be back in a while. And then within three to seven more months, they have their own coaching business. They wait mm -hmm. just long enough so that it's out of my mind, but in, in all three followed the exact same template. And then they start their own. And I look at that and think, you know what? And Ross and I talked about that this weekend. If you had just asked, Mm -hmm. I would have helped you every way I could, but instead you hid your ultimate goal. You just gleaned as many of workouts as you could get from me. And you got a couple sample templates of how to progress through a periodized build. And then you ran off and you started your own, but you're the athlete that didn't get why we were doing what we were doing mm -hmm. that I had to re-explain workouts constantly to, which is okay, but you never picked up on the why you just concerned about the what, and now you're charging people for your training. That is the pattern of a bad coach someone who doesn't use their resources, who doesn't steal in a good way from others. Every coach steals workouts. Every coach steals philosophy, phrases. That's what learning is. Like you don't invent math when you learn to add and subtract. You steal the knowledge that's been handed down to you. That's how we do this. It's good. If I'm coaching well, someone else will use it. That's the sign that you're doing something right. People will take it. I'm okay with that. But be upfront with the people you work with and research the absolute shit out of your topic. 
If you do not spend as much time researching as you do coaching, at least on the front end and then periodically throughout the year, you're doing a disservice to your athletes. Your goal should be the to be the wisest, most knowledgeable coach that anyone's ever met. And you're going to fall short of that. And you're still going to end up being a really good coach because you have an active thirst for knowledge. So steal workouts, steal training plans, steal knowledge, steal phrases, steal even persona and create your own with it. No one should ever regurgitate a workout. You have to know the why for everything. And Kirk, there are at least three people out there that I had a hand in them regurgitating it without ever knowing the why. And it pains me to know that people are paying for just absolutely terrible advice from some of these people. I can sense that, Bracken, and it's valid. There's a there's one specific that I'm thinking about, and it happened a few years ago. Mm. And as far as I know, they're still doing it. And I always wonder, what's the shelf life of these people? How long do their athletes take to realize this person's a fool? Just an absolute mm. fool has no idea what's going on here, but they say it with confidence. I'm glad you're talking about this all. I'm glad you're talking about this all because... And I'm glad you, you've you ranted. I've enjoyed this. I was like very engaged with everything you've been saying because I feel I feel like I know this obviously better than our common listener, but it's a very vulnerable, vulnerable industry. It's a vulnerable industry is in the sense that this is a newer sport. You have a lot of new athletes filtering in at all times. Like sure, running. Okay, like running a 5K, that's been around forever. Playing in the mud with your friends at a high level with obstacles and heavy carries and things hasn't. And so- I do believe that there have been people who have taken advantage of the vulnerability of new athletes in particular in our sport. Um, and so I don't know why it hasn't been talked about. I can't think of a single resource that has brought up the shortcomings of our industry in our sport and what a true coach in your corner should look like. And so I'm just, I'm glad you wanted to talk about it today, Bracken. I hope other people are too. I hope so. Now, the reason it doesn't get talked about much is because it illuminates your own flaws. We both have them. Everybody has them. Yeah. But if you can articulate what's wrong, people are going to see it in your own. I'm going to have some athletes that are going to contact me after this and be like, hey, you talked about a few things on there and we haven't had that lately. Sure. I'm going to say, you know what? I'm sorry. Last month, I didn't charge three athletes, Kirk. Wow. Why? Because our relationship had slipped. Mm. (laughs) And I realized they either called me on it or I reached out and said, let's, let's hit a reset on this. Let's get back mm-hmm. to doing this right. I am not immune here. I expect athletes to challenge me. You expect athletes to challenge you. We're not putting us up out here as the shining standard. I am in my ninth year of coaching OCR, and I think my 15th year of coaching running in general. Mm. And last month, I had to give three people <laughs> free coaching because I had, I had failed them. Kurt. That's because of your own standards, though, not probably not somebody else's. I didn't come up to the standards that I set on this very podcast for three mm. people this year. I admire that. I admire, I admire the, just the acknowledgement of that. That's, that's what a coach would do. That's what a good coach would do. How do you ever get better though? Right? So anyways, the point is not that we're doing this right. It's that we're doing wrong, but we're actively seeking to be better. And I, I will finish with this. This is something that a lot of coaches will not want to do, but you can tell them <laughs> that it has been called out that they have to do it. If you really want to give people money, have them show you a current athlete's training. This is something I've started doing on intro calls. 
I pull up an athlete's training that I know will not care because they're not doing the same events. So someone contacts me about high rocks. I show them an ultra training plan. Someone contacts me about ultra. I'll show them someone doing the stadium plan. I make sure that they're not in the same age range. They wouldn't compete against each other, maybe even a different gender and a different goal race. And I walk them through their last like 18 months of training. And I say, this is what we did here. And this is why. And here is his log note on this. And this is what we look for. This is what I look for in a log entry so that we can look back or you can look back even when we're done coaching together and be like, you know what? The last time I felt this, I was running in neutral shoes and maybe Mm -hmm. I need stability. You know, we walk through all of that. Make your coach show you an example of what they've done with someone. If they can't prove it there, I've had athletes now. One of the things I request on my questionnaire is your last six weeks of training. And I've said this on here before, but I say, do not give away the farm for whoever you were working with prior, but I need to see the the outline of what you did. Mm-hmm. Tuesday was quality work. It was 15 minutes worth of intervals. Saturday was a long run. I don't need to know who you worked with and I don't need to see what they gave away. But sometimes they say, you know what? I feel you will get a, the best grasp for what I've been doing if you actually look at what I've done. And so I've seen the inner workings of a decent amount of the coaches in the sport. Some of them I really like. Some of them are hit or miss, and some of them are absolutely nonsensical. Just nonsense. It, it would look the way it would look if I tried to to write somebody a um a like a, a wrestling plan. <laughs> like you're gonna become an all-American wrestler off this. I've watched wrestling, I watch mixed martial arts a lot, and so I'm gonna be your expert. That's what it would look like. It would be just wrong. And there are some big names in the sport, big names in quotes that have really bad training plans. And there are some people that I looked at their plan and I messaged them. I said, hey, I know I said I wouldn't do this, but who wrote this plan? This is really good. I really like this. In fact, I want to talk to this person about it. And they gave me the name and I'd never heard of the person. It was some age grouper who's like middle of the pack, but is writing phenomenal training plans. Mm. So there's some good stuff out there, but there are some things that are just mind blowing. There's a couple I started working with and their previous coach had a a bit of a name, not one quality day in the past 18 months was repeated. (laughs) 18 months of randomized programming. Mm. These people were paying $250 each per month. It's 500 bucks a month, huh? For random workouts. Mm. If you are out there doing this, please stop and do what every other coach in the history of the world has had to do, which is learn. Kirk and I are not the best coaches on the planet and we're not perfect and we're trying to get better. But we have spent thousands of hours reading books, reading Mm. excerpts from dissertations, reading case studies, testing on ourselves, testing with athletes, going to speeches, listening to coaches talk, watching presentations, testing it out again, rereading that material. It's a lifelong quest. So do those things, do what every good coach does. And that is listen and learn and try to get better Every single plan you write should try to be better than the last one. Do not just put out crap and take advantage of people because people will always be there to be taken advantage of. Please stop. What can I add to that, Bracken? Here's the thing. Some of my rants, I feel better afterwards. I don't feel better right now. Well, you don't have you don't have resolution yet. There's no resolution to this. There's no resolution. You just have to uh, keep your eyes and ears open and see what's being put out there over the, the next coming months. All we can say is this. We are going to keep giving away as much free training advice on the podcast as we possibly can. And hopefully we start cutting into that level of sedition in the OCR community. 
we give enough knowledge out that people can discern good coaching from bad coaching and they can make good choices for themselves. I agree. I, I, I do think um, that there are a number of coaches out there. You know, I do think, I just want to say that I don't always think that coaches are poor coaches with intent. Right. I think coaches are, some coaches are just jumping the gun. Yes. As in they're a little too early in their phase of their coaching career to be maybe claiming to be somewhere in their coaching career that they're not. And so there's necessary, we're not talking about people full of malintent because that's not the case. These, some of these are people putting out bad training are great people. They're just not quite where they need to be yet. And so I don't know, having the skills and tools to at least to differentiate is super important. And I think you outlined everything that I can possibly think of. I want to end on a positive note. I would love that. And I want to prove that this is done out of goodwill. I want to name off the coaches that I recommend to other people Ooh. when they are done coaching with me or when we don't vibe on a call or if they're just curious. So I want to end this with saying, these are the people I would trust my own coaching to so that you know this is not a self-serving podcast because I am at capacity. I want to reiterate that. <laughs> I cannot take on new athletes. I'm not doing this as an advertisement. I'm doing this for your coaching progression. Kirk, we didn't discuss this. Are you okay with doing this? Yeah, I'm super. I'm there. I have an idea of a few of the names you're going to say, but I'm super. Do you have any that you trust? Yeah, of course. But I want you to spot them out first. I'm going to start with Rich Ryan. Yep. Rich understands coaching. He understands people. He has a holistic view of what he does. And he's also just a really damn good runner. Yeah. Even though it doesn't matter, it does. Because he goes out there and he completes every workout that he assigns. I agree. Mark Botris and Natalie Mayano. Great run coaches. Yes. Now, I do want to preface this by saying every coach out there has bad reviews. I have bad reviews. You have bad reviews. Every person, every product on this planet has negative experiences. So just because I'm recommending doesn't mean it worked for everyone and that it will work for you. There are some people I've talked to that did not like or had bad experiences with all of these coaches I'm about to say, mm -hmm. but that's just the nature of the beast. So uh, Mark Botris and Natalie Miano. Miano, Miano, sorry, Natalie. Miano. Miano. They get run training. They get OCR training and they're both very good themselves and they use their own principles. I would be willing to let either one of them help program my own training. Yep. I think they're very good. I haven't talked to any of these people. I don't know if they're taking on clients, but they are worth looking into. Ian Hosick. Ian Hosick knows as much technical data about running as anyone I know. I have not uh, even considered outsourcing my training to him because I love compromised running. Right. And he loves it less than me. However, if I were training for an ultra or a mountain beast, he would be the first person I think I would contact to get me there. Mm. Yancey Culp. I don't know if you thought I was going to say that. Um, he wasn't on my radar, but I, I, I already know why. Uh, two ends of the spectrum. One, if you are new to the sport, there might not be a better way to get used to obstacles and the fatigue of OCR than Yancey Camp. He just knows how to build out fatigue yourself workouts and keeps positive. He might be the most positive energetic person I know. For sure. He also knows how to build really nasty high-end workouts. He's not a guy I would ever give my training to, but he is a guy that I would give my quality days to. I would say, Yancey, here's the framework of my season. I have Tuesdays and Saturdays available all throughout the year, and I can go Monday, Thursday, Saturday during my peaking times, design my quality workout progression. I would trust him to that. The man knows how to make you hurt and how to make you better at suffering. I also would put Rich Diaz on there. Again, a guy I don't think I would outsource my coaching to right now. I think the flow training needs more 
representation in the sport in terms of testing it. Mm -hmm. I'm not sold ever on novel new ideas, but I know that some of the best runners in the sport go to him and he gets them fit. And there's not a better thing you can say about a coach than that he gets people ready to race and Rich gets people ready to race. He's also a stride um, analytical genius. He can identify what's wrong when you're, with your stride and love him or hate it for it. He will tell you exactly what he believes. He will not sugarcoat anything. And that will drive some people away and that will turn some people into animals. So Rich Diaz is another master of his craft. There's a lot of coaches in our industry, isn't there, Bracken? There are. And I know that there are more out there. There are mm -hmm. some people that I'm not saying because I don't know enough about them. There are people, like I talked about, some of those plans I've looked at where I think I really like how they think, but I don't know enough to actually recommend them yet. But I think we just gave like eight to 10 people who are all people I would trust. So mm -hmm. do your vetting, contact those people, contact multiple. I had someone that said, all right, I'm making the rounds. You're the seventh person I've talked to this week. And I thought, you know what? I'm probably not going to get you, but I mm -hmm. really respect the, the process here. I wasn't one of those seven Bracken. Nope. Not that I know of. This person had kids. <laughs> well, relatability. They probably went to all the coaches with kids. I will say that all those coaches too that you mentioned, um, I could probably categorize all of them to have a niche of some yes. sort, depending on your goals. I think you covered the gamut really well with with different, I mean, styles, philosophies, options, depending on what you're trying to do. So that also covers the scope. So if I didn't say your name, I just forgot about you or I don't like your coaching. <laughs> Kirk, Kirk, it goes without saying that I obviously... If there was one person in the industry that I asked more questions about my training than anyone else, it's you. Oh, start Bracken. I feel like we represent each other's coaches like we're a mirror. Mm -hmm. We have a few differences, but for the most part, we do a lot of the same principles and practice. And so I would, I would trust you in a heartbeat. So mm -hmm. anyone else I didn't mention, don't take it personally. If I spoke to you today, take it personally. This is one of those I don't mind hurting feelings on because it's going to make you better. It will grow your yeah. business and it will make the endurance world as a whole better if you can provide a better experience and product for your athletes. Mm. I think those people probably know who they are too. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Prove me wrong. And I will be the first to apologize. Prove me wrong. I like it. I, got, I have nothing else to add. This has been your baby and I think you've nailed it, man. Well, this is going to be a long-term closure, Kirk. Let's hope that next year on episode 200, we can say, you know what happened this year? The coaching field in general got better and the athletes got more discerning with their choosing of coach process. You still don't have the warm and fuzzies about your rant though? Nope. No warm and fuzzies yet. Just apprehension, Kirk, that it won't get better. Isn't this sport about delayed gratification anyways? You can't feel better immediately after this rant. It's got to take time to sink in. That's right. We're building the base knowledge right now. <laughs> That's exactly right. People can peak later. The adaptation hasn't happened yet. All right, sir. We got we got uh, we got a good one for you next week. No more ranting. Just spreading the knowledge. That's right. Thanks, guys. <laughs> I gotta go work out. <laughs> I gotta burn some of this frustration off.